0: Good morning. I got one. Good morning. Yay, there are people here. Well, if you're new or visiting with us this morning, my name's Brian. Uh, I'm the executive pastor here at Church 21 Montreal, which means I get to oversee the legal, fiscal, and operational health of the church, uh, provide some pastoral care for the staff. Uh, Originally from Portland, Oregon, Uh, but my wife grew up here. And uh, we moved here in 2010 for church planting. And um, we have three kids. Just looking back over the last nine years and what uh, Jesus has done uh, in this place, in this city, we just feel uh, so privileged that Jesus allows us, all of us, to be involved uh, in what he does. He, he, he could have easily done all of this without us. Um, it probably would have gone better. If he hadn't involved us and yet he chooses to involve us, so we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, we are in a series uh, titled Being the Church. This is a study of the book of Acts. Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who was a doctor and a Gentile. And it's the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. So the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are like two parts of a whole. Uh, the gospel of Luke details out all everything that Jesus said and did. And then the book of Acts details everything that Jesus and said and did through his spirit through the apostles. So it's a continuation of the Gospel of Luke in a lot of ways. Last week, Jordan took us through the second half of Acts chapter 11 and looked at how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And we are all very ordinary people, so it was very encouraging uh, to hear. If you missed that, I would, I would encourage you to grab the, the podcast Next week, uh, Brian Alton is going to be up here, and he's going to go through uh, Acts 13 and talk about being the church sent, sent out on mission. Um, And I believe that's actually our last week of this series. We're not doing, we're not fine. The summer's not long enough for us to do the entire book of Acts. So maybe we will resume the second half at a later time. But this morning, we'll be Acts chapter 12, uh, and looking at how the advance of Jesus's church is unstoppable. Unstoppable church. And As Ryan mentioned this morning already, this is important to us. It's near and dear to our heart, this idea of the church advancing because we care so much about the growth of God's kingdom. Every church cares about the growth of God's kingdom to some degree. But our church really cares like a lot we're always talking about, missional living and church planting. Um, and so you probably get sick of it, but we just, we really care about this. So this is important topic for us because sometimes we get confused in our minds about how this is really moving forward. Like we tie ourselves up in the advance of this thing as if our participation is, uh, is critical to its success. We may not say that, but sometimes we feel that we think that, um, that, that our participation is like God's depending on us and we got to come through. So this morning, as we get into this passage, we want to. My my aim is to help us realign our hearts to our proper place in the scheme of this mission, uh, that we would find um, more freedom and more joy in our participation in the mission of Jesus. And I know again, like there's lots of kids in here, so there's some there's some good stuff in here for you guys as well. Uh, Are you kids excited? Yes, all seven of you. All right. I'm going to pray again uh, and just ask Jesus for help, and then we'll get started. Jesus, uh, I do need your help this morning. Uh, Spirit, we need your help this morning uh, to to rightly understand your word as you speak to us. Allow it to feed our souls. Um, we ask that we would walk away this morning with a uh, a more clear picture of your nature and who you are and a greater appreciation for your beauty and a greater peace in our souls because of it. Um, and Lord, I ask that you would not spare us the sword, uh, that that scripture being a, a, a two-edged blade would pierce deeply into our hearts, that you would strike us uh, with your word this morning and, and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, as, read, as was read a moment ago, we've got a whole chapter to get through this morning. Uh, so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, back to, and you don't have to stand, you can stay seated this time as we go through it. Uh, chapter 12, ver- starting in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Uh, right away here, we've got to pause and take a moment because there are multiple men in the New Testament with the name James. Have you ever discovered this? So it gets confusing. Um, And within this one chapter, two different James are featured. So I just want to take a minute to sort of like clarify uh, some of this James stuff. Um, And there have been different times, different ways of slicing this throughout history. You can go on the internet and have a lot of fun reading about it. But modern scholarship kind of divides it up into three James, three dudes. So first of all, we have James, the son of Zebedee. This is the, the apostle, and he's the brother of the apostle John. And historically, he's known as James the Greater. Doesn't he look great? It's just a painting, kids. Um, and uh, so he, he was uh, perhaps uh, greater in the sense that he was taller or older than the other James. Uh, that's probably the way that was. But he also had greater access to Jesus which may have helped the nickname to stick. So there was Jesus's 12 apostles, and they were, you know, out of all of Jesus's disciples or followers, there were the 12 apostles. But then within that group, there was an even smaller group, uh, Peter, James, and John. And they were like his special best friends forever. Like they were really close. They got to do extra special things with him. Like when Jesus went up on the mountain and was transfigured, and they saw his glory and freaked out. Um, This James was there. That's the James. This is... Also, the James uh, and John that were fishing with their dad when Jesus called them away to become fishers of men. Yeah, so it's this guy. And James and John got the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Isn't that a cool nickname? I, I find it interesting that like the Bible allows us to see into their world so much so that you can see that these guys are like giving each other nicknames. Right? Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter, which means rock, because he was like not very stu- sturdy. And so he's kind of poking fun at him a little bit. Uh, this is seems maybe unusual to us, but think about it. if you have a group of men and you leave them alone by themselves for long enough, what happens? You pull them back out; they've given each other all these new names, mildly abusive nicknames that that relate to you know something they did or something they do. If they fell down or whatever, um, this this is like this is like a thing. Uh, I had a number of nicknames in high school, all of which seem to be variations on my last name, which is Stegner. So I'll share them with you in brief here. Uh, This is not a complete list, but there were variations like Stegs, Steggy, Staggy, Stagler, Stagnation, and Stagosaurus, which is different than a Stegosaurus. This is Stagosaurus, see? Stegosaurus, Stagosaurus. The dinosaurs for the kids, but you all can enjoy it. Also, Sons of Thunder is better than all of those names. Um, All right, back to the James. Let's get rid of that. All right, now we have the second James, and he was known as, uh, well, he's James' son of Alpheus, and he was also one of the apostles, and historically he was known as James the Less, or Lesser, right? We had the James the Greater, here's the other guy, you know, and you can see it in his face. You know, it's just, he was known as James the Less, the Lesser, or even James the Little or Younger he just had it. Who's the little brother or little sister, right? You just, you never outgrow that because they're always growing faster. Uh, So this guy appears in the New Testament four times in the list of the apostles. Like he did, said nothing. Um, So that also could have been a factor. Moving on. The third James is James, the brother of Jesus, not an apostle, historically known as James the just. And this, this James uh, is the one that eventually goes on to preside over the Jerusalem church area. He writes the book of James, and um, uh, we see him later presiding in uh, chapter 15 of Acts over the Jerusalem council, trying to figure out what to do with all of those new Gentile Christians that Paul kept making. Uh, and then this is the James. You may have heard the story of James being martyred by being thrown from the top of the temple by the scribes and Pharisees. You guys heard this story? They threw him off. He didn't die. So then they tried stoning him to death, and he didn't die. And so finally, historically anyway, it's not in the Bible, someone hit him over the head with something called a Fuller's Club, and he died. So he was, he was martyred eventually. Um, now, early traditions say that this James and this James are the same James, but nowadays they think they're separate. Um, the other issue with this is that for Roman Catholics, they think that Jesus' mom never had any other kids except for Jesus. So the idea that Jesus had a brother is troubling to them. They believe in the perpetual virginity of Jesus. So they say, oh, maybe J- this is Jesus' cousin. Or maybe Joseph had like an earlier family and this is Jesus's stepbrother. Neither of which, any indication in the Bible. But that's all the stuff about the James. So when we, when we talk about the James here that's being killed, it's the first one. James the greater, the guy that was really close to Jesus, really close to Peter. Uh, and that's, that's important. All right, verse 3. And when he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews that he had killed James, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, this James wasn't probably the first martyr. Like, we, we know that Stephen was already killed. There were other Christians probably that were killed in here. But this is the first apostle to die. And not just any apostle, but near the top of the, the, the group there in that tight three. So they've, they've killed James. Now Peter's been arrested. Peter's the leader. This is a wake-up call. To the young church. They're like, what is happening? This is all happening really fast. I kind of thought the apostles were untouchable. They're like healing people as they're wandering around, and suddenly they're being knocked off. This is very, very concerning. Uh, and so now Peter is probably next. Verse 4, And when he, uh, Herod had seized him, Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. It took me a long time to figure out how many soldiers are in a squad. It turns out there's four soldiers in a squad. There's this, na- this word quadronon. It was a quadronon of four guys. So there were four four guys, or 16 guys, who were in charge of guarding Peter. Seems like a lot, right? But it turns out there are only four of them at a time, and they would rotate during the watch. So there would be six on, on for six hours, and then they would rotate off, which you think then they would have, you know, they'd be really alert. Uh, and then usually, so what they do is they put two guys in the cell with Peter. Usually he's chained to one of them, so he can't get away. And then there's two guys outside the cell. Uh, but we'll see in a minute, Herod was so worried about Peter getting out of prison that he actually chained him to both guys inside the cell. So he's really concerned about, you know, Peter not going to be executed. You have to wonder like why, if he's really worried about this, why didn't he just kill Peter right away? Well, it was Passover, And the Jews were distracted with Passover. He's doing this to be popular with the Jews. He wants them to like him. So he's putting on a nice show. He's killing people they don't like. Uh, He also maybe was worried about, like, am I allowed to kill people during Passover? I don't know. So he's just, he's waiting. He's waiting to see what will happen. Verse 5. So then Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The word earnest here. It has an implication of like straining your muscles to the breaking point, like as much as you possibly can. Like when you're a kid and you, th- when you go to your parent's car and you just all of a sudden impulse think, I'm going to try to lift the car up. Not all the way, just the front end, right? Who's done this? You've grabbed the front of a bumper and you're like, maybe, right? And then you're just, you're just straining as much as you can. Now, did anybody get it? up off the ground. Some car's are really little. That guy did it. Yes. She, someone's shaking his head. No, he's lying. We'll see after church. We'll find a small car. Um, this is the kind of word here. It's the straining. They're straining in prayer for what? For Peter's uh, release so that, that he would be rescued. What do you think happens? You guys know, we already read the passage. All the secrets are out. Okay. Verse six. This is a highly inaccurate picture for reference. Um, Interesting that Peter's asleep. He's supposed to be executed in the morning, and he's asleep. If I was going to be executed in the morning, I may be awake. I may be stressing about that. Peter wasn't stressing about it, even though he had zero reason to believe that God would rescue him, right? James just died in this exact situation, so all bets are off, and yet yet he's asleep. Uh, And... He's uh, apparently in his underwear, unlike in this picture, and or naked. They didn't have, like, 17 layers of clothes. If you notice, the angels, like, you know, get dressed, put on your shoes, put on your coat. Like, he's at least in his underwear, chained between these two guys. I just want you guys to have that, that visual. And then the angel shows up and strikes him. This is not a strike. He's like, shh, wake up. You know, patting him on the head. No, the word strike is like smote. You have to have a sword to smite someone. I, angels always have swords, right? So he's tapping this half-naked guy chained between me with his sword, like, wake up, let's go, get dressed. Let's, so, it, you know, these paintings are always inaccurate. Um, so he has them go, and they go outside, verse 9. And he went out and he followed him, and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Do you guys remember this from a couple... Chapters ago, Peter's having this vision of the of the, the sheet being brought down with all the animals. And God's like, eat these. He's like, no, no, they're bad. And it happens a few times. Just a vision, right? He was not, you know, followed around by all these animals for the rest of the story after that happened. They were just, poof, they disappeared. Right? So he's thinking, like, oh, this is probably another vision. This is not actually God rescuing me. Uh, it's just something that's, that's happening. And then verse 10 when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them of its own accord. And then he went out along one street and immediately the angel left him. And the word here that's used is actually automatica. It's like the doors opened, the, door, the gate opened automatically, which to us is not special, right? That happens at Walmart. You know, you're like, ooh, you know, automatically. Uh, but to him, it was kind of a big deal. Plus, this is like a gate at the city wall. Like, it doesn't open at night, ever. Like, that's how they keep bad people from coming in. Or going, people leaving, like Peter, who's supposed to stay inside. Uh, and it just goes open all by itself. And it's interesting to note that, like, the angel isn't, like, hitting it with his sword. Or he's like, hold on, I have the key. Like, there's, there's invisible things happening here, too. The angel is one manifestation, but God is working invisibly. The chains just drop off. The gate just opens automatically. Uh, special things are happening that we can't see. And then the angel goes away, doesn't say goodbye, doesn't give any further instructions, nothing. So verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. He just says, he just sort of comes to himself like he was in a dream and he's like, whoa, this was real. You wonder like how long did he stand there before he realized it was real and it actually happened. He's, He's not going to die in the morning. This is not just some dream. Uh, the Dr. Luke, the author at this point, is, is, is showing a, uh, he's, he's, he's making a contrast between what happened to James, the apostle, and what's happening to Peter, the apostle. Uh, God lets James die. And he rescues and frees Peter. And Peter lives. That's a big that's the biggest kind of contrast you can have. James is dead. Peter is alive. Now, did God fail James by letting him die? No. We're all going to die. Peter eventually is crucified upside down. Like, they're just kicking it down the road a little ways. Like, everybody dies. And if we're in Christ, if we die in Christ, we are raised with him as well. That, that they knew that there was a resurrection that they could look forward to. So this is not God being unfair uh, with James and, and Peter. Uh, In fact, uh, this brings us to the first point that I would like to make this morning. Uh, And this is the idea that regardless of our status in life, whether we are alive, whether we are dead, that Jesus is going to continue to build his church, that death can't hold us, that dead or alive, Jesus will build his church. It doesn't stop the work of Jesus that James died. In fact, even in the midst of James' death, we see in history, not in the Bible, but in history, that Jesus expanded his kingdom. Even in this, Uh, Eusebius relates a story from Clement of Alexandria who said that the soldier guarding James before the judge was so affected by his witness that he declared himself a Christian also and was also willingly executed for Jesus along the side of James. Even in death, even at his execution, James is like on mission and Jesus is using that moment to expand his kingdom. So uh, be we dead or alive, sick or well, strong or weak, young or old, it doesn't matter. Jesus continues to build his church. It's unstoppable. It's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on us. And our human frailty is no limitation for him, which is good news for us because I don't know about you, but like, it's hard. Sometimes the, the human frailty gets the best of us. Sometimes we don't feel uh, strong enough. Sometimes we don't feel well enough or have clarity uh, to, to go out and build God's kingdom. It, it can be it can be hard. And I think it's an, it's an encouragement to my heart to see that, like, it doesn't matter. Jesus's work is not dependent on us. So now Peter is free. He realizes it's not a vision. This is real. So he goes to where he expects to find other believers. Verse 12. And When he, Peter, realizes this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And they're praying, you know, for Peter, for his release. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhonda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. Kids, isn't it frustrating when you're trying to tell a grown-up something, and and you're telling the truth, and they just don't believe you? Does this happen to you? Oh, yeah. They're like, no, no, you're crazy. Uh, when I was little, I I would say that I was like 10 years old. Uh, My brother, Darren, was like eight, and we were in Colorado at the farm that my dad grew up on, which his brothers now run, or did at that time, and we were riding our bikes at the farm, which was awesome. It beat riding bikes in the suburbs of Portland by a fair shot, because there were all these cool things you could launch off of, which is what you do when you're eight and ten and you have dirt bikes. And uh, my brother... Foolishly attempted to launch. He tried to like go down this little hill next to a grain silo into like a ditch to like launch out of it, and he did. But he kind of flipped upside down and landed on his head. And we were wearing helmets, thankfully. But for the rest of the day, he kept asking me the same questions over and over again, every few minutes. Which, if you're, you know, most of us realize that's sign of a serious concussion. And uh, so I go to my aunt and uncle who are supposed to be watching us. And I was like, something is wrong with Darren. You know, like I tried to explain to them as a 10 year old. They didn't believe me. We should have been going to the hospital. He's fine now, most probably. But it, it's hard to know. You know, you don't have a control in this experiment, but uh, he's doing all right. But it's, it was very frustrating. See, I, I, I can empathize with this this servant girl. She's trying to explain. Peter's at the gate, and they're like, no, no. It's just his angel, which somehow is more plausible to them. <laughs> that that's They believed at that stage, apparently, that everyone had a guardian angel. And if you saw it, it probably looked like you. And maybe, but the Bible doesn't say. We can ask Jesus later to meet our guardian angel and see what they look like. Uh, so... What, what's the serious thing here, though, the commentators point out that the, the, the awkwardness of this moment is that they were praying as hard as they could, right? Straining to lift the car, praying as hard as they could, straining at prayer that God would release Peter from prison. And so he does. And they lack the faith to believe that God actually answered their prayer. How weird is that? They lack the faith to believe that God actually did what it is that they were asking to do. Uh, And that's okay. Second point, be we faithful or not, Jesus will build his church. Um, Paul helps clarify this duality for us in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he, Jesus, remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. It's good news that Jesus' mission is not tied to our human frailty. It's good news that Jesus' mission is not even tied to our ability to faithfully execute it, faithfully uh, believe, faithfully walk with him. If you have given your life to Jesus and he has taken out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, you now want to be faithful to Jesus. But you will still probably struggle some days to be faithful to Jesus. And that's not a good thing, but it's an okay thing because Jesus does not waver in his faithfulness to us. He is faithful. He is able. Well, now Peter's standing out in the cold. Rhonda left him there, forgot to let him inside, too excited. He doesn't leave, though. He keeps knocking. Verse 16, So Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Such great visuals in this passage. He leaves him there and he's like, oh, all right. You know, like he keeps knocking. They all come to the door. All of them let him in and they're like, how is it? Blah, 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 blah. Everyone's shouting questions at him. And he's like. You know, Luke's like put in that he's like going like this. I will tell you if you will be quiet. And so he explains the whole thing. And uh, and then he says, tell James and the other brothers. Now, this is not James, the brother John. He has died. Right. This is this is they believe this is James, the just James, the brother of Jesus, James, who would go on to uh, lead the church in Jerusalem and write the book of James. It's this this James. So Peter, and then he leaves. He goes somewhere else. We don't even know where. But he's not in jail anymore, which is a huge problem for somebody else, right? Herod and the guards. They wake up, no Peter. This is a huge problem. Verse 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Uh, So you can see they're very concerned when when Peter is missing. Why? Because in Roman uh, law, the Roman custom, I don't know if it was a law, was that if you were guarding someone and you lost them, no problem. We will just apply their consequence, their punishment to you. How's that sound? That sound fair? That's the way they rolled. So all of the guards were always super good at their job because they didn't want to go to the torture chamber. They didn't want to be in jail the rest of their life or be executed. These guys didn't want what, what, what Peter had coming to him. And so Herod looks, can't find them. He examines them, which may have involved some torture, and then he kills them because... Peter is gone. We see this happen again later in uh, the book of Acts where Paul and Silas are in jail and there's an earthquake and their chains fall off and the door swings open and the jailer's like, he wakes up and he sees the doors open and he, what's he do? He goes to kill himself right away because he thinks, all the prisoners are gone. I'm going to get it. It would be better if I just kill myself right now. And Paul's like, no, no. We're still here. Don't kill yourself. And he ends up following Jesus. It's this Very intense culture that they're part of. So Herod kills all of these guys, but then he still has a problem, right? The Jews are expecting an execution. They're looking forward to it. They really enjoyed the execution of James. It was their favorite. And that's why he has Peter. He wants to do an encore. He's like, let's do another one. And he's waiting till after Passover. The Jews are all busy with Passover and then usually when Passover's done, it's probably like a downer a little bit, like the day after Christmas. Yeah, you, know you feel in the day after Christmas. You're like, well, is all this build up, and then, you know, Boxing Day or whatever. And if you're not into shopping, then it's just you know, you don't feel good because you ate too much candy canes, and and so they're just you know Passover. They're probably a bit blah, but they had the execution to look forward to. They were very, you know, this is exciting. Everything the Jews were expecting, Peter said. Um, And so Herod's like, yikes, I don't have what I want. I was going to do this, now I'm going to leave. So he leaves. He goes somewhere else. Uh, And he also needed to go deal with a problem. So it's like he's killing two birds with one stone. Uh, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastius. That's a good name. If you ever make action figures, like if you just choose to do this with your life, and you make Bible action figures, this guy should be one of the first ones based on the marketing potential name of the name Blastius. Um, the King's Chamberlain. And they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So Herod gets on his fancy pants, gets all dressed up, goes out, gives a speech to these people that he's angry with. And they so want him to stop being angry with them because... They're hungry, and they depend on him for food somehow. So they're like buttering him up, right? They're like, amazing, amazing speech. You look very fancy, very handsome, voice of a god. And so they're like, they just start worshiping him. They just went all in. And uh, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. If somebody tries to worship you, what should you do? You tell them to stop, right? The angels do this all the time. The angel shows up. People are like, what do we do? And they like, kind of get down to start to worship. The angels are like, no, no. Do not worship me. That would be bad for both of us. But Herod, he just takes it in. He just takes it in. And what's the consequence? Eaten by worms. Of all the people who die in the Bible, this is one of the nastiest, worst ways to, to, to be eaten by worms. Uh, the, the Jewish historian Josephus records, actually records this in history, that Herod Agrippa experienced heart pains and pains of the admin. admin And died after five days. Five days of being eaten alive by worms. Do not accept the worship of other people. Um, But then there's a contrast here. So the first contrast was between like the treatment of James. James died. Peter is saved. First contrast. Second contrast comes here at the end. It's a contrast between Herod's kingdom diminishing and Jesus's kingdom growing. So he dies. And then verse 24. But... The word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. And then our last verse this morning, uh, uh, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. You remember last week um, uh, we were talking about how uh, there was a they were in Antioch and there was a prophesied famine they they collected money to bring it to Jerusalem. So we're basically kind of just resuming with what they were doing. And then from this point in the book of Acts through the rest of the chapters all the way to chapter 28, it it's about Paul and his guys. And we don't see Peter like at all anymore, except a little bit in chapter 15. His story just sort of goes kaput. It just ends, which is so weird because he's the leader of the church, right? And he's just been rescued, and he did go on to write a couple books of the Bible. We'll give him that. But his story didn't continue in the book of Acts. He, it, it wasn't necessary for his presence to even be included in what Jesus was doing. Jesus was able to do other things. Um, Herod's uh, downfall didn't require the believers. They didn't have to go and get revenge on him for killing James or arresting Peter, um, God took care of it.